Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. So my friend told me this story and swears it's true. It still sends chills down my spine every time I think about it. So it's a story of his friend, who's also a skilled hunter named Joe, a man who played guitar in local indie band, and an experienced tracker. One fateful day, Joe embarked on a solo expedition deep into the wilderness of New Mexico, unaware of that that awaited him. It started out like any other hunting trip. The crisp air of the wilderness was there, as he ventured into the heart of nature, his rifle by his side, and a sense of anticipation in his vein. He had his sights set on an elk, a creature whose meat would sustain him through the coming months. As the sun began its descent, casting long shadows across the landscape, he finally spotted the perfect target. With steady hands and focused determination, he aimed and fired the sound of the gunshot shattering the tranquil silence of the forest. The elk fell, and he felt a mix of pride and relief. But then things started to go awry. As he approached the fallen elk, a strange sensation washed over him. 
It was as if a pair of eyes were piercing through the dense foliage, watching his every move. He brushed it off as mere paranoia, attributing it to the isolation of the wilderness. Yet, as he reached down to claim his prize, a roar echoed through the trees, shaking him to the core. He froze, his heart pounding in his chest as he turned to face the source of the terrifying sound. What he saw defied all logic and reason. Standing before him was a massive bipedal creature towering over like a Bigfoot. Before he could react, the creature lunged at him with lightning speed, its powerful fist connecting with his jaw. He crumpled to the ground, disoriented and in pain, as it swiftly grabbed the elk carcass, tearing it away from his grasp. The creature vanished into the wilderness, leaving him in a state of shock and disbelief. So he sat there trying to make sense of what had just happened. He says it felt like a nightmare, but the ache in high jaw and the lingering taste of blood confirmed its chilling reality. No matter how hard he tried, he couldn't shake off the image of that immense creature stealing his kill. He still swears it's a true story. Do with this story what you want. Ex-Royal Navy Lieutenant here. Back in 2006, the ship I was on, HMS York, was crossing the Bay of Biscay when we found a single empty survival suit floating around. When it was first spotted, we thought it was a body, but when we put a boat out to check it out, it turned out to be empty. Probably fell off a container ship in a storm or something totally normal. Or maybe something else spooky or whatever. That was kind of creepy, but not really. We bend it almost immediately. Of course, there's nothing your average sailor likes more than gossip and exaggeration. So within a matter of hours, there were rumors sweeping the lower decks that the guys who'd picked it up out of the water had found blood or body parts or bite marks or anything else someone could make up. Classic sailor rumor-mongering action. A few days later, I had one of the younger and more gullible lads, 17 or 18 years old, in my division asked to speak to me in private and tell me that he was scared that he'd get eaten by a sea monster if he went overboard. Naturally, I told him we'd do our best to get him out of the water before any of the local wildlife could get a proper hold on him. Job's a good one. Round about 20 years ago, I worked for the Big Boy Scout Ranch in New Mexico. Philmont, Google it, it's gorgeous. The ranch itself is divided up into little regional support zones. You have a base camp where all these backpacking hiker scouts would come in. Ages of about 14, 20, one sometimes with their parents, but generally chaperoned in some way and oftentimes a mix of guys and girls. So these kids, and I use the word kid loosely because, hey, I'm old, and all you 20, some things are kids to me. It's not an insult, it's just perspective. Would go through an initial training period and then be set loose on the ranch. They'd get an itinerary telling them to be at X place at I time, and then off they'd go knocking out their 100-plus-mile course over 10 days to 3 weeks. I have to admit, it was pretty awesome as a scout. 
It was a grand experience, and at $350 a kid for two weeks, it was pretty cheap. So anyway, regional zones of control. Scattered throughout the ranch, there were maybe 100-120 primitive camping sites. Some place to drop your gear, get water, take a dump, whatever. You might be on the trail for two. Three days before you got to one of the 34, 36 staffed backcountry camps. A backcountry camp had a staff of three, six, depending on the size and activity. The activity was some sort of old West-style skill that they would then teach the kids. Maybe it's gold panning or deep rock mining, shotguns, burrow racing, compass, and starlight navigation. Whatever. I worked at three separate backcountry camps during my years as staff. This would have been the summer of 90s. There were a number of bear attacks that year, more than a dozen. There were also two mountain lion attacks that thankfully the news agencies ignored. Come to think of it, I was stalked twice, each time for more than 30 minutes. I worked at Harlan Camp, a backcountry camp with guns, specifically shotguns. Full NRA certified range and donation of four gorgeous Ruger Red Label over under 12 gauge shotguns. We'd spend the mornings teaching kids to reload birdshot shells and spend the afternoons blazing away at clay pigeons. We also had burrows. Think of them as shorter, more pissed off donkeys. We'd name them. And then just after dinner, the kids would be assigned a burrow and flog them up and down the valley in a race. And we'd watch every time and pray that the kids wouldn't get their face kicked in. But when we weren't teaching the kids, we maintained an active search area of about 24 square miles around our little backcountry heaven. We were all search and rescue trained. Occasionally, a half-crew of bewildered campers would hit our front porch and tell us that someone had fallen and broken a leg or needed to be similarly evaxed. So, this is really just one story of many. Our camp also bordered the highway, and we often had weirdos try and hike up the jeep trail from the road. We'd have to corral these people and escort them off the ranch, once at gunpoint. Spooky tales starts here. So it's just after midnight, late part of the season, maybe the first or second weekend of September. Weather starting to change, the nights came earlier. The camp had finally quieted down, and we'd wrapped up the last bear patrol of the evening, basically running around and making sure some dumbass kid hadn't dumped powdered Gatorade on a stump again in the hopes of luring a bear to his campsite. The bulk of the campers were asleep by about 9 p.m.-ish. On these nights, there was one lone light on the staff cabin, really just bright enough for you to find your way to the shitter and back without getting lost. No moon this night, but the starlight could still be pretty incredible. Were it not so overcast, we're sitting there on the front porch. Three of us. The camp director is inside. We're cleaning the guns. I can still remember the smell of the solvent, big black glass bottle. We just slid the guns back into the safe and we were locking up when it started, screaming. Sounded like a person. Sounded like several. Women. Screaming. I've never heard anything like it before or since, but distant and close all at the same time. 
I looked at my buddy, and we both grabbed our guns and reached for the emergency loads. One shell of tightly packed power that made one hell of a noise. And one shell loaded with zero-zero buckshot that we didn't let the kids use. We booked it out to the burrow pens, only to find the burrows not there. They had a square enclosure and a sort of long run that opened up to a small fenced pasture and a hayloft about 20 feet tall. So we make it through the gate, and the screaming is much worse. Maybe two minutes have passed since we stepped off the cabin porch. I'm in the best shape of my life at this point, but still my heart was pounding so hard I could hear it. I could feel the blood pumping in my ears. I was so on edge. We moved back into the enclosure, spread out so as not to accidentally blow each other in half. The screaming changed, shifted from high pitch to something more guttural. More like a low, hoarse, raspy growl. Sounded huge, moving through the tree lines just outside the fence. We finally get to the burrows. They're all bunched up by the fence line. They see us and come running over, like we're part of the herd or something. They're shaking, and in the cool, crisp air, they're sweating, like they've been sprinting back and forth in the pen. The screaming stops. The whatever the F it was moves back into the tree. My buddy takes aim and fires his noise load, but this did not hasten the withdrawal of the creature. We'd packed the noise loads two months previous in celebration of the 4th of July. We'd hiked up to the ridge, and at midnight our guns had belted fire into the sky. The thunderous report was reported heard from the other camps up the valley, twenty miles away. Fitting since it took two days for my ears to stop ringing, the creature took its time leaving. Huge bushes shook when it made its way through them. We hung around with the burrows till dawn, took turns sleeping in the hayloft just in case. The burrows... Best to think of them like big dogs seemed overjoyed to have us there, leaping and jumping about. When the sun came up, I saw the blood, blood on the hooves of the burrows, blood in the pasture, blood on the fence, blood splattered on hay, blood on our boots and jeans, where we'd failed to see what we were standing in the night before. I followed the blood trail up the ravine wall that the fenced pasture backed up to. I didn't have to go more than 20 or 30 years before I found what was left of it. Big mountain lion, probably male. I couldn't tell. Got into the burrow pen, probably thinking he could take one down. Goddamn burrow stomped the F to death. Its rear legs were practically sheared off. Crushed pelvis and lower spine twisted and exposed. It didn't react to the noise from the shotgun because it couldn't. It just wanted to get away from there before it died. My grandfather was on the United States S Block Island when it was sunk off the coast of Italy in 1944. Six men lost and 951 were rescued by the other ships in the fleet. When the ship was hit, obviously the evacuation was immediate. No time to grab personal effects, just grab a life vest and get the F out. Eventually, my grandfather was plucked out of the water by a Marine on another vessel. Fast forward to 1966. My grandfather was working in a hangar in the Norfolk, Virginia Naval Base. Right as he was getting ready to wrap up his work for the day, he was approached by two men in suits. They were FBI. FBI. Are you ex-grandpa? 
Yes. FBI, were you on the United States Block Island in 1944? Yes. Were you issued a 9-millometer pistol, serial 12,345,678? I believe so. Mitch, do you know where that pistol is right now? At the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, as far as I know. Turns out that as the ship was being evacuated and someone grabbed some weapons, or at least this particular one, out of the armory, the weapon somehow found its way to the United States and had been found at the scene of a mob murder the two weeks earlier in New York City. Edit, now that I am thinking about it, their rescue was pretty badass too and worth telling. The other ships in the fleet sailed, full speed towards the floating survivors, then cut their engines to avoid detection from the U-boat's radar, I guess, and their momentum allowed them to drift through the survivors and pick them up. My grandfather said he tread water for hours before finally being scooped out of the ocean. Most of the guys had life vests, but they only helped keep them afloat for a little while, and they had to share them. He said he didn't have enough strength to pull himself up onto the rescuing vessel, and that the marine that pulled him out of the water was one of the largest men he had ever seen in his life. As the block island sank, the survivors heard an explosion. They were pretty sure it was the sound of the Bach Island exploding either as a result of the water pressure on the munitions, or maybe something in the ship was still burning and caught munitions. Or the ship's fuel supply. No matter the case, they were pretty sure the sound came from their sinking ship because of the direction it came from. The German sub that hit them thought the explosion was the sound of them being hit and surfaced to assess the damage. When the Germans surfaced, the rest of the fleet blew the U-boat out of the water. My friend Matt lived on the corner of South Carpenter in Sleepy Hollow, New York. His house was surrounded by woods and had well water. His neighbors owned cows, horses, and many acres of land. Matt's sister was a medium and was able to communicate with spirits. She was kind of gothic and had a strange group of friends. During one birthday party, a group of Goths came back terrified. They said they had seen a witch in the woods. At first, they saw an old lady from a distance, and it seemed like she was lost and looking for something. They approached her eager to help. They stepped closer and went to reach for her shoulder when she began laughing. She turned around and petrified the group. Most of the people thought the group was lying, but Matt knew his sister could tell the kids were serious too. They were actually scared, and the forest they were in was a labyrinth of spooky trees. It was easy to get turned around. Later that year, this is what happened. Matt, Bill, and I were hiking during the winter months. There wasn't snow on the ground, but the air sure was cold. We were bundled up and didn't plan on going far. But of course we followed the trail and it led us to a place we could never imagine. I was following Matt, but he wasn't the best with directions. We were in a thick forest that we had never explored before. We continued trekking, searching desperately for familiar territory. It was getting dark. Finally we heard cars. We made it to the road and saw it with Sleepy Hollow. I thought it was funny and antagonized Bill and Matt about the headless horsemen, but they were a little younger than me and started to cry. They were scared. It should have been straightforward to make it back to the house using the roads. 
but sadly we did not make the best decisions. Matt was oblivious to the surrounding streets and directions and was clueless about how to get us back. I remember the route my dad used very vaguely and attempted to lead us back. There were no sidewalks, so we walked on the ditch alongside the forest. After a while, Bill ran ahead of me. He said something was back there, something was following us. I didn't believe him, and I stopped walking. I looked back and saw that he wasn't lying. There was some kind of black upright dog just walking behind us. We started to jog, and so did the canine. Matt and Bill were faster than me. I told him to run ahead and that I would get this thing away from us. By that point, I had a general idea of where I was. I be landed to the forest and caught the trail. I couldn't see much, but the trees paved the way for me. I had no visual of the dog anymore, but I knew it was on my trail. After what felt like forever, I could hear the commotion from Matt's family's party. The flames from the bonfire peeked through the trees, and I felt relieved. I moved towards the tree line and suddenly went barreling into the ground. My foot caught a root, and I was badly scraped up. With my hands and knees bleeding, I rolled over in slow motion, and my life flashed before my eyes. I heard something crashing down the path about thirty yards from me. I hopped to my feet and went straight through the briars and branches leaping to the illuminating grass. I made it to the fire, and the creature luckily left the darkness. Matt and Bill were already sitting on their mom's lap telling the story. My parents were happy to see. I was still alive, but not surprised at all. The adults saw my wounds and gasped. I told them the werewolf got me. Years later, my friend Alex moved nearby. He had two encounters with a wolfman. Once, he and his two sisters saw a large lichen creature cross the road and scale a deep hill within seconds. His other encounter was with me. We saw a pair of eyes out of his patio window in the woods. It was the scariest night of my life, and I never slept over there again. We tried to sleep in the basement, but had to go upstairs because we were terrified. The moon hung low in the night sky as I stood outside the apartment building, my heart pounding with a mix of excitement and nervous anticipation. Today was the day I would join the ranks of the police force as a rookie officer. My name is Alex, and I had always dreamed of making a difference, of upholding justice in a world that seemed too often plagued by darkness. My partner for this first assignment was Detective Ryan, a seasoned veteran with a reputation for his sharp instincts and unwavering resolve. Together, we were tasked with investigating a homicide case, a daunting task for a rookie like me, but I was eager to prove myself. As we approached the apartment, a sense of unease settled in the pit of my stomach. The door was locked, a barrier between us and the truth hidden within. With a swift kick, Detective Ryan forced the door open, revealing a chilling scene that would forever be etched in my memory. There, before us, lay the lifeless body of the victim. It was a gruesome sight, a chilling reminder of the evil that lurked in the shadows. But what shocked us both was not just the presence of death, but the grotesque creature feasting on the remains. It was a dog-like creature, but larger, more akin to a wolf. 
Its hulking figure loomed over the body, its snarling face contorted with an unsettling mix of animalistic hunger and a twisted human-like visage. The sight sent shivers down my spine, and I felt an instinctive urge to protect and serve, to rid the world of this abomination. Reacting on pure instinct, Detective Ryan and I drew our weapons and fired at the creature, hoping to neutralize the threat it posed. But the bullet seemed to have little effect. It let out a chilling growl, launching itself at us with a speed and strength that defied logic. Caught off guard, we were tackled to the ground, our bodies hitting the floor with a resounding thud. The creature slipped away from our grasp, a blur of fur and teeth, disappearing into the night before we could regain our footing. The chaos and confusion that ensued left us breathless, questioning the reality of what we had just witnessed. We exchanged bewildered glances, our faces etched with disbelief and uncertainty. Did we really see what we think we saw, or was it some hallucination brought on by exhaustion or something we inadvertently ingested? The questions lingered in the air, a heavy fog obscuring the truth. With a deep breath, Detective Ryan and I collected ourselves, determined to make sense of the inexplicable. We scoured the surroundings, searching for any trace of the creature, but it was as if it had vanished into thin air. Frustration mingled with disbelief, our minds struggling to comprehend the events that had unfolded. As we stood there, gazing into each other's eyes, a silent understanding passed between us. We may never fully understand what we witnessed that night, but we knew that our duty remained to protect the innocent, to uphold justice, and to face the darkness head, on, even when it defied explanation. In the end, we may never have a definitive answer to the question that haunted us. Did we truly encounter a monstrous being, or was it an illusion, a trick of the mind? My friend and I, both 18-year-old males at the time, decided to go camping in the Mogollon Rim of northern Arizona. We had no particular spot in mind as to where to camp, so we drove around the NF woods until we came across a small, very secluded lake. I literally brought everything a guy would need to be out camping in the wilderness. Sleeping bags, lighter, food, knife, etc. Except I had forgotten my brand new Coleman tent I purchased specifically for this adventure. So we wound up just camping in our sleeping bags on the ground next to the fire. It took forever to fall asleep because the temperatures dropped below freezing and we were shaking. We went based off the weather for Payson, Arizona, which was 4,000 feet and 50 miles from where we actually laid camp. My friend, we'll call him Tom, fell asleep before I did. I can't remember if ever did fall asleep or if I was just half asleep. But around midnight, I start hearing some really weird noises in the distance. I knew there were elk bugling nearby, so I didn't think much of it. Gradually, a snapping sound kept getting closer and closer to the camp over the course of about a half hour. I started getting scared, hoping it would go away, but it didn't. Suddenly, on the side of camp closest to Tom, I hear something running through the meadow straight toward us. I jumped up so fast and yelled at Tom to get up. While I was yelling at him, I was searching the ground nearby for my .40 caliber handgun. 
By the time I got the gun and flashlight trained on Tom, there is was massive black bear standing right above him. Tom was trying to get up, having realized there was in fact a bear hovering above him. I aimed in the direction of the bear and squeezed the trigger four times. I could hear the bear run off, not knowing whether I hit it or not. We were shaking so fiercely afterwards I couldn't tell as if it was the cold or the adrenaline. We then packed our sleeping bags and left all of the other stuff to retrieve in the morning and began the half-mile walk back to the dirt road where Tom's car was. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that Bear stalked us all the way back to the car. When I was a kid, I went for cross-country biking nearby to our home. There is a roughly two kilometers, 15 miles, loop of a forest path. In the forest, it is ride, able if a bit difficult at some points. After just riding a couple of minutes on a narrow forest path, I see a figure walking ahead of me. It looks like a hooded elderly lady walking really slowly. I cannot see her face or anything, just a dark hood covering her. I recall she being very tall, but I was also just 13 years old, so she could have been normal size. I drove just behind her, but the path is too narrow to overtake her from any of her sides. Also, I get this heavy feeling on my chest, telling me not to try to overtake her. I can't explain it, but something just felt very off when I got closer to her. I stop my bike and get off and watch her walk ahead of me. I then think that this is silly, and she must be startled if she turns around and sees me there. So I think to act cool and turn down to pick up a blueberry. I pick it up, raise my head back to the road ahead of me, and there is nothing. I can see the path ahead maybe 50 meters, and it's just impossible that she would have never done that distance within those five seconds. I wasn't watching. I then try to reason this with and think that she must have jumped off-road since there is extremely thick bushes and I cannot see there. I felt a bit uneasy about this, but decide to continue. I ride my bike about 500 meters more, and there is a cliff where I can see down the road ahead. Another 500 meters, and there she is. I can see her walking there again, really slowly. Again, tall figure covered in a dark hood. I cannot see her face or anything but the hood she is wearing, and she is walking slowly on the road. I really couldn't figure out how she made it there in such a short time, since even I couldn't do the distance in that time, even with my bike. I'm extremely alarmed at this point, but decide to continue. I drive the hill down and to the spot where I saw her before. Again, there is nothing. At this part of the forest, it is more open than I can see quite far in any direction. Yet she is nowhere to be seen, and yet there she was just thirty seconds before. I continue my trip and finally finish my first loop of the trail and decide to go yet another round. After going for a couple of minutes, there she is, exactly the same spot I saw her at the first time, again tall, dark hooded, walking slowly. I got totally freaked out after this. I rode off the woods as fast as I could and in a total panic ride to my friend's home, which was further away from the woods than my own home. Until today, I have no idea what I saw, and it gives me the chills when I remember her figure. 
The Arctic tundra stretched out before me, vast and unyielding. I, an Inuit hunter born and raised in this unforgiving ice wilderness, had set out on a crisp, frigid morning to fish in the frozen waters. The landscape was a stark beauty with pristine, snow-covered expanses as far as the eye could see. As I trudged through the snow, I couldn't help but feel a sense of connection to the land. My ancestors had thrived in these harsh conditions for centuries, and I was determined to honor their legacy. However, as the sun dipped low on the horizon, I noticed a foreboding haze in the distance. My heart sank as I realized it was coming from the direction of our small Inuit village. Panic surged through me, and I raced back as quickly as I could, my boots crunching through the snow with each hurried step. Arriving at the village, I was met with a scene of chaos and devastation. The humble homes of my fellow villagers had been torn apart, their belongings scattered like flotsam in the icy sea. I knew this was no ordinary predator. It was something unknown, something monstrous. Determined to uncover the truth, I set out on a reconnaissance mission, venturing towards the outskirts of the village where the creature had vanished. The biting cold gnawed at me, but I pressed on. It was then that I spotted them, massive yeti-like creatures. These formidable beings were un- Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Like anything I had ever seen, towering in white, they had hulking forms with fur-covered bodies that resembled a bear on steroids. Their eyes glowed a piercing yellow, and their powerful legs allowed them to move with an unnatural grace. They were undeniably dangerous, but my curiosity got the better of me. I inched closer, trying to get a better look, but I had underestimated their sharp senses. With a sudden chilling awareness, they turned toward me. Panic gripped me as I saw the wrath in their eyes, and I knew they had noticed me. Without hesitation, the creatures bolted towards the icy forest, disappearing among the snow-laden trees. 
the sheer size and speed at which they moved left me in awe. However, I also realized that if I pursued them further, I would be risking my life. Reluctantly, I made the difficult decision to abandon my pursuit. The creatures were far too formidable, and I was just a lone Inuit hunter. I couldn't stand a chance against these enigmatic giants. I retraced my steps back to the village, my thoughts racing. It was clear that I needed to inform the authorities about what I had witnessed. I reached for my satellite phone and dialed the local police, my voice trembling as I recounted the incredible encounter with these unknown predators. The response on the other end was skeptical, to say the least. The police were incredulous, questioning the validity of my story. They suggested it might have been a bear, despite my insistence that these creatures were unlike anything I had ever seen before. I was RV camping with my Irish wolfhound, Marty, last summer. We were in an old camping ground outside of Naples, Florida. Marty wanted out around 10 p.m. that night. Not long after I let him out, I heard a loud yelping from the swamp. I immediately flooded the area with my handheld spotlight, calling out to Marty. That's when I saw an unusual creature, with eyes that glowed brilliant orange. The creature was yellowish-brown, two half-feet tall, bipedal with several foot-long spines on the back. It was hunched over Marty, sucking blood. Out of, of his neck, it screeched at me and ran off. Marty's neck had two fang marks as he laid lifeless. I heard another scream nearby, so I picked up Marty's body and headed home to the 24-hour vet. The vet said he had never seen this before and confirmed that Marty had been drained of blood. He mentioned El Chupacabras from his home in Puerto Rico, but said he had never seen one and thought his was a myth. I am 26 years old and have worked on a sea scallop boat since I have been 18 years old. During the course of my time on the water, this question brought two stories to my attention. These are not in order of importance, and I apologize for any grammar mistakes in the future. First story happened a couple years ago when we were working off the coast of Long Island, I believe. It was a little rough, but nothing out of the ordinary. It was dark and about three in the morning, and everything was going smooth. On a scallop boat, you are required to shuck and do other things in between towels that happen every hour. It's basically a floating factory. I was in a shack back in the stern of the vessel, standing in the back that can be closed up while you shuck. All of a sudden the wind starts to pick up and the lightning starts closer. Then you won't when you're the tallest object. It's roaring and raining so hard that the rain was hitting me in the back of the shack. The boat starts listing to port and it sounds more violent than you can imagine. The door was tied off so I rushed to shut the door and use all my strength to shut it. I am by myself in here, and I've been never so scared when the boat started, listing over even harder. This lasted for about ten minutes. Then it was over. Looked outside, and all the gear was everywhere, and a bucket that was deep inside a tote up in the front of the deck was taken out it and laying on deck. The position and protection where this was only led my other co-workers and I on watch to believe we indeed were just hit by a water spout. 
The second story was when the boat was fishing offshore sometime during March. It was shitty and cold out and you could barely stand up. We were fishing with our starboard facing the waves because we were on a tow in producing. As time goes by, it's going to sound weird, but you develop an intuition of when you're going to get hit by a wave when picking up scallops on deck. When working in the pile, you try to keep your scuppers closed, it's rough, because you don't want to make it harder on yourself or get your gloves wet. It all becomes very instinctual, so this night it starts to get rougher progressively. Another guy and myself are working on the starboard side and doing fine. He was back aft and I was forward. I was directly next to the hatch for the fish hold. We're picking then, we feel this wave coming. Like I said earlier, you can tell the power somehow and guess what you're going to do. This is the east coast, so the continental shelf drop-off isn't that substantial as the west. So typically ruse waves are few and far between. So my co-worker and I don't even try to duck or cover in anticipation. I just lift my gloves a little and assume this will be nothing special. Then the rest of it comes. We didn't have a chance. The power was forceful and slammed myself against the hatch, thankfully because or else I think I would have been washed over the port side in full gear. The other guy was washed into the other rail and by the time I got up, I could see the fear in his eyes of what just happened to him. I was more confused due to the impact of the violent wave and the cold water. Got changed and worked for another couple hours before my watch was over. That was a shit night. My name is Don Montgomery, Jr. My father was stationed at RAF Bentwaters from 1977 to 1982. At the time of this event, we were living in Suffolk on the Black's Farm, near Rendlesham Forest. This house is huge. We had some very interesting events happen in the home. Once we moved in, my brother started talking to an invisible friend, and he had full, on conversations. Shortly after that, I started hearing noises coming down the driveway, which used to be a cobbled way. Their hooves beating on stones, but no horses were there. Then an old lady in white dress and bonnet would walk across the walled yard. Then an elderly man in a wheelchair would wheel himself down the hall and up the stairs, which could only be accessed via a staircase. Our room was upstairs, and our room looked out over the walled-in yard. The home had entirely too many rooms for us to heat, so we would frequently close off a lot of the main rooms and just heat the main area. I had tried telling my parents that I had been seeing people that were not there and they thought I was making this up. We were all sitting in the living room watching something on the television when something pushed down the mechanism to push down the heavy oak door. With a very loud thump, the door opened then closed. My family were flabbergasted as we all heard walking through the living room. Then the other door on the other side of the room, the one that led to the stairs, was opened and then shut. My parents looked at each and then looked at me. Me being 16 at the time, I looked at them and I said, Told you. I never saw my brother's friend, but I knew he had to exist. The whole time we lived there, we always constantly had something happening in the paranormal. It was later in 1981 that I found a picture of the man in the wheelchair in a class photo in an old garage. 
I showed it to my parents, and I told them, this is the man that I had been seeing. He was considerably younger, but I will never forget that face. I still see spirits to this day. They have become a part of my life, and I have learned to accept it. Now, Rendlesham Forest, December 23, 1980. I was sitting on the back porch of the Black's farm. It was dark and cold. I was cleaning rabbits on the back porch that my father had shot. I was finishing up with a rabbit when a white ball of light coming from the south of the house moved north to the back field behind the house. It is completely silent. I watched it with awe, not quite believing what I was seeing. It hovered over the far field and looked to be about the size of a mini cooper. It cast a glow on the wet mud in the field and then seemed to land in the field. It was simply beautiful. It looked like it was pulsing. I eventually snapped out of it. I went to get my dad. I was very excited. When we came back out, it was gone. Like it had blinked out of existence. My father did not think I saw what I knew I had seen. He told me it was probably a helicopter and not a big deal. I knew what I had seen. The next day, I walked out to where I thought it landed. I went back to my house, got my dad, and told him he needed to come out and see what I found. We got out there, and there were three circular impressions there on the ground equally spaced out, and my original set of footprints going to and from the site. Very muddy, and then our prints going back to the site, where the orb had landed. My father was surprised enough that he called the base and reported what he had found and I had seen. No one ever came to my knowledge to check the site. Then a couple of days later, the famous Rendlesham Forest event occurred at RAF Bentwater's Woodbridge. So as a kid, I lived about 100 miles away from the nearest town at a house without electricity running water, the works in the Colorado Rockies. This place was in the bum of middle of nowhere, and we frequently did see all sorts of wild animals. Elk, deer, coyotes, and such. Our property and a bunch of other neighbors' property bordered National Forest Roads. So to keep people off of our road, we had a gate about a mile and a half from our house that we drove through before we were home. This time of year, we are the only people up there. All the other homes are hunting cabins long empty by this late in the winter. Now, this was not the type of gate that you could drive around if you forgot your key. There were tons of trees all around it with barbed wire and ditches and such, so anyone wanting for off-road around it would have to basically build a new road around this gate. Well, one night my mom, brother, sister, and I pull up to the gate and we cannot find the key. It's gone. So one of us has to hike to the house to get a spare, then walk back. Now it's recently snowed in January, and it is totally dark. Like can't see your hand in front of your face dark, and with the new snow you can't hear anything too. There are a few clouds in the sky on and off to let some starlight through every once in a while, but it's dark and of course there isn't a flashlight either. So off I go. First you walk through about 200 meters of trees, then it opens up into a huge meadow, which then narrows back down again to trees for another 200 meters, then opens up again into another huge meadow, which on the other side of is our house. 
So I set out and everything seems fine. I'm just irritated that I have to do this. I'm like 15, 16 years old at this time and a little angsty teen that is peeved at an oldest kid chore, totally not thinking about my surroundings. But then I got that feeling of being watched as soon as I'm halfway through the first meadow. That deep, creepy dread that something is right behind you that you can't see, which was made a thousand times worse by the light and lack of being able to hear. My instinct was run, but I knew that if there was something that was just going to provoke it, so I kept going and then stopped to try and listen. And I heard a crunch, crunch, just out of sight, echo my footsteps. Holy shit, I was freaking the fout! This time I walk a little faster and I know there is something behind me and it's probably a cat. So I just keep walking right into the second bunch of trees before it opens up into the meadow our house is in. And I can feel the pressure. At that point we were mind milded predator and prey and I could feel the breath on my shoes. So, second clearing comes up and I know what the plan is and I book it. Thankfully, I'm familiar with what to do, and I scream Mother F at the top of my lungs, and I hear our dogs bark at the other side of the meadow, and I know they know what's up. I stop and get big with my coat, and I can hear it, but still not see it, just outside my vision. And I hear the dogs hauling ass towards me. When they get there, they continue right past me into the woods. I'll vast to the house, got the key and the 12 gauge, and got in the 2955 tractor we used for work to head back to the gate. On my way back, I saw the tracks. It had cut right across the first part of the meadow and was on me. From what I could guess, that pit of my stomach feeling hit right when it started across the meadow. Thankfully, I got back to the gate and let the rest of my family in and told them the whole story. And while that's happening, both the dogs show up, unhurt, but obviously in the same state as me. Not ready for a calm night of sleep. To this day, I never go out into the woods without a weapon. My first name is Debbie. I'm not in a position where my full name can be revealed. I wish that wasn't the case. My encounter is brief but it has stuck with me since. In 1990, Seven, my husband, and I were in the Peace Corps, volunteering to do some good in the world. We were posted in Nepal in Dalpa, one of the most remote northern areas high in the Himalayan mountains, around 10 to 12,000 feet above sea level. Dalpa borders Tibet. The area was closed to tourists at the time. It is very remote, but since we were Peace Corps and stationed there, we were permitted to hike or track to rural towns to do our job. We lived mostly with Buddhist people. They were honest, hard-working, wonderful, and peaceful people. We had been on a track to conduct services to local community health care workers in very remote villages. I'm a pediatric nurse, so I would teach safe birthing techniques and care for infants and children especially for burns, diarrhea, gastroenteritis, and dehydration. We trek for two weeks at a time, sometimes hiking above 14 to 15,000 feet above the tree line. It's very remote. 
The nearest village will be a day's hike in between and the occasional tea house or lodge every two to three hours along the trail would follow the Glacier River with the occasional bridge to cross. The bridges often were just two large trees spanning the raging river or sometimes a suspended wood platform bridge. One time on our way back from a long two-week trek, we were hiking home and we were still about two to three days out from Denae, our home village. Our backpacks weighed about 25 to 30 pounds, so they're packed tightly. This was the era before cell phones. Not that it would matter, because even today, I doubt there is. Internet WIFI service, since it's so remote. But we had a regular camera that I'd packed deep into my backpack. My husband was in front of me on the trail. We'd been hiking for several hours following the Glacier River, and to my right was the steep gorge down the mountain leading to the river. To my left is the steep mountainside traversed up very steep, so steep one would have a very difficult time climbing hiking it. So we're trekking along, our thoughts to our own, when all of a sudden I felt my hair stand on the back of my neck and my ears started ringing. It got deathly quiet. I looked ahead and I saw my husband still walking ahead on the trail. I stopped, looked down, and right on the dirt trail was a very large footprint that traversed the entire trail, maybe 18 to 20 inches long, much longer than a hiking boot. I could easily make out the toes with the big toe at a flat foot bottom and very wide heel. I thought, wow, someone has gigantic feet and is flat-footed. But why would someone be out here in bare feet? Even Nepalese wore footwear when trekking, typically flip-flops, actually. Then I just froze and my heart started pounding in my chest. I knew it was there, staring at me to my left. I could feel it. I sensed it right next to me in the bush, maybe a few feet away on my left on the mountainside, staring at me out of my peripheral vision. I had a human-like face and its eyes staring at me. I never felt so much fear in my life. I didn't make out its body because it was standing behind a tree, peering off to the side. I knew if I didn't yell for my husband to come and see the footprint, he would never believe me. I wasn't about to put my backpack down to bring up my camera. I was too scared and had this sense of run now. Then in my mind I heard it say, Just keep going. I will not hurt you, but keep going. Do not look at me. I said back in my mind. I just want to show my husband the footprint, and then we will go. So I tried to yell. My voice froze. I cannot make a sound. It was so strange, and I'm a talker. I barely got my voice to whisper to my husband to come back. Of course he didn't hear me, so I kept trying to yell, but I just couldn't. My husband happened to look back, because I think he sensed I wasn't behind him anymore, and he started backtracking towards me. I still could barely talk and sense the Yeti to my left, this whole time watching me quietly. I didn't feel like it would hurt me, but nonetheless, I was petrified. When my husband reached me, I pointed down on the path and showed him the footprint. He stared at it, then he stared at me wide-eyed and started to look toward the Yeti, and I said, Stop! We gotta go now! My husband nodded, and we sprinted down the trail. We ran for about 30 minutes until we felt that weird feeling leave us. I felt petrified the whole time and didn't stop trying to sprint, even with our heavy packs, until we felt normal again. When we finally stopped, I told my husband what I encountered. 
the voice and the glimpse of its face, eyes, and that the Yiddy had spoken to me in my head. I never heard of man speak until later, and then it made sense. We both were so shaken, but I'm glad he saw the footprint, or I don't think he would have fully believed me. When we arrived in the next town to stay overnight, we asked the locals if they'd ever seen the Yeti, and oh wow, did the stories fly. They told us the Yeti live in the mountain and to never hike alone, and that if we didn't bother, it would not bother us. But once in a while, the Yeti would come into town and take small livestock chickens and goats, or other crops, mostly potatoes. They told us they tried to live peacefully with the Yeti, but not to anger it, or the Yeti would seek revenge. Children were not allowed to go in the mountains alone. Since that time, and living on the United States East Coast, mostly in Pennsylvania and Maryland, I'm not have any encounters. We hike the Appalachian Trail frequently, but honestly, that's fine with me. I've heard whistling sounds late at night. I've encountered bluish orbs, too. But that is another story for another time. I wanted to share my Yeti story finally. So I'm not a skeptic or anything. I just haven't dealt with much paranormal-related stuff because I steered clear of anything that could potentially haunt me, so no dolls, mirrors, paintings, etc. About a year ago, when I was staying up late sometimes, I would hear this extremely loud breathing, or at least some sort of airy movement that went on for 30 seconds whilst I just listened. It sounded the same and just as clear, even if I was in different locations for each separate occurrence. Once in the bedroom, once in the living room, and once in the home office. On the second floor, it happened in several month intervals and it sounded consistent or mechanical, perhaps. Enough that I figured there must be some sort of normal explanation. The house is very new. 2010's no basement, no dark past or anything. What could explain that? Thank you. Two friends and I went hiking in the Tortolita Mountains when I was about 15. We hiked back in there for a full day. I'm not sure how much ground we covered, but it was a good amount. We set up camp for the night, cooked some grub, then I went to sleep in the tent. My buddy woke me up at around 2.30 a.m. asking me if I could hear that noise. I sat there for a moment when I heard it. it. sounded like a mouth harp off in the distance, playing a tune. Then it stopped for a bit and started up closer to us for ten or so minutes. Then stopped, relocated again, and started up. This went on for about an hour. Every ten or fifteen minutes we could hear the sound coming from a different location. We were terrified. We had no weapons. I couldn't sleep the rest of the night. In the morning, we went looking for evidence of someone being out there, and we found some footprints. I don't know how old they were, but there were some there. One hundred percent, not a Sasquatch. We are talking boot prints. The hike back was so creepy. Felt like we were being watched the entire time. Not sure if that feeling was because we were actually being watched or if I was just sketched out from the night before, but it was one of the creepiest experiences I have ever had. Who even knows how to play a mouth harp?
A friend of mine has encouraged me to share my experience from May 2021. Iron Pot Creek Campground in Toonambar National Park, west of Kyogle, New South Wales, Australia is where it happened. I and two friends were camped there for a week, and one evening we heard a squawking, screaming sound. We turned our flashlights on a black opossum being chased by a creature that was maybe four feet tall. We watched as the creature scurried up a gum tree only a few meters away. As we followed its climb, it hopped from one tree trunk to the next tree some three meters away, apparently defying physics. As it hopped out away from the tree trunk and then moved in towards the second tree that was perpendicular to each other. One of my friends watched all of this with me and we had a lively discussion about its odd attributes, but didn't think much of it. That night I awoke in my van to a juvenile one, only a foot tall with very long arms and a red face that had a pointed nose, almost like a chicken's beak. I was calm enough. I turned the light on thinking it would be scared away, but I essentially needed to push it out of the van as its curiosity was strong and fear non-existent. I slammed the door and the poor thing got its foot caught momentarily but escaped. It took a few months of processing before I really could accept the fact these creatures are not something documented and are commonly known as hairy men. There was no strong smell but a notable distortion of time. The one... Week time passed with ease, and the days were so calm. I've had time to accept what I saw, and over the past few months have shared this story recently with a friend who had his own experience in the Daintree National Park, Queensland, and encouraged me to share. I just came here today about 20 minutes ago and have seen two videos about the sounds. One I do believe is faked in all honesty. One sounds like a concert in the distance. But this isn't really about the recent happenings. What I want to know is if anyone else has ever experienced this sound before. And if so, how old are you now or how old were you then when you first heard it? I've read only certain people can hear it. I think above age 25 or actually 40 and above. Myself, I'm early 30s. And I have heard this sound at least twice in my life. The first time was about 12 years ago. I saw something really effing scary on someone one time. It looked like a weird smile. And because he was a friend who I trusted, I felt some super deep sense of betrayal. Like he was betraying all humans because he wasn't one. Like a demon. Yeah, I know. Crazy. But when I saw him smile that way, I heard such a sharp sound. Sounded like a trumpet, but like it was a string instrument that someone slid their fingers across really quickly and aggressively, then abruptly stopped. I used to hear this swing set all the time. For years. But when I looked for it, I couldn't find it. Then I never heard it again. In the area where I heard it, the people all still lived there. No swing set. In about a year or year and a half ago, at a different app building, I heard this loud rumbling. Didn't sound like a trumpet or anything. Just sounded like, I don't know. Deep underground construction, but there was none. And it had come in waves each day I heard it. It'd last like 40 minutes, and there'd be like seven or so waves. It'd crescendo, 
then descends in a slow-ass way, then it'd come back. Because of that, I googled the hum and looked up some vids about it. One vid tried to debunk it by saying it sounds like dry ice on a sheet of steel, which does. But it's super loud, just a low bass rumble, and one dude said it's 18-wheelers slamming on their brakes. Where I live, no big trucks would really come through like that, maybe like three a day. I can hear the traffic from where I live. I rarely heard big trucks come through, at least not slamming on the brakes. After I watched that video for about a week, I'd hear like at least 15 a day. Then after that week, it all stopped. No more big tricks slamming the brakes. And I noticed it then and there and have paid attention to it since. Rarely do they slam on their brakes. And 15 trucks doing that every day for a week is very noticeable. Strange. And another thing I want to mention is how my smaller city didn't have too many police chases. But in the last three months, I hear them like at least three or four times a week. And a neighbor is a cop, and I asked if those are actually police chases and not just cops rushing to a crime scene. And he confirmed there's police chases happening. And I've lived in this building for a second time now, for at least two years and some odd months. And another thing I want to mention is locusts. They've been appearing every year for about two months at a time right before hurricane season. For about six years. Maybe seven. Again, I will mention that though I do believe in a supreme being, I'm not religious. I was raised Christian, sure, but I'm not a religious person. Not anymore. And the reason I say this is because I've noticed the religious concepts in this I'm writing right now. Anyway, what do y'all think? Have y'all noticed this stuff? And what do you think of it? Just a coincidence and I'm being superstitious?